Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. <laughs> home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. Well, good to have you along for the ride tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. It is 8.06. That Blue Jays game in Montreal now into the top of the 10th, 2-2 against the Red Sox. Your scoreboard update is courtesy of Crystal Glass for all your glass needs. Call 310 Glass today. In the NHL, Chicago leading the Jets 3 2 early in the third. Duncan Keith suspended six games for that slash to the face of Charlie Coyle. He's going to miss one playoff game. I know the uh, Texters who reached out earlier, not in agreement. They thought Keith should have got more. The Bruins lead the Blues 5-2, that one after two. Capitals and Avalanche, no score early in the second period. The Red Wings have defeated the Minnesota Wild 3-2, and the Canucks and the Ducks will start a little bit later on. I can also tell you that the Edmonton Eskimos uh, will not have to give Ottawa any compensation for hiring Jason Moss. Tiger Woods will not play in the Masters as he continues to get through uh, back problems. I don't think that's a huge surprise. As for the Oilers, it sounds like uh, very much so that Party Adam Party will be in on defense for Adam Clendenning tomorrow. Not quite ready to come back are Eric Griba and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And, of course, Bob Stoffer is the host of Oilers Now and the color analyst on the Oilers Radio Network. He checks in now. Bob, good to have you on the show tonight, man. How's your Friday night? All right, Reed. How you doing? Doing very well. Just had John Short in studio for one hour, and uh, man, that was a lot of fun. We talked a lot of hockey and a lot of boxing too. Do you remember the Tyson Ruddick fight that was supposed to happen here in 1989? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yep. Don King, Edmonite. That's what he called it. <laughs> and uh, John Short says that fight uh, did not happen because. They decided Mike Tyson got a lung infection, whereas really it was Mike Tyson started at camp, started to realize he probably wasn't going to beat Razor Ruddick at that stage. Oh, it's an interesting perspective. I mean, John Short, uh, you know, I referred to him as a, an Edmonton sporting icon and for a certain vintage. So if you were a guy maybe 35 plus into, uh, say, 60, John was the guy. I mean, he... Uh, I remember uh, Dan Russell, who just retired in the last year or so out in Vancouver. Uh, he had a great show out in Vancouver for a number of years that I used to listen to in the summer. And he told me that uh, the genesis of them putting the, their show together on CKNW, which is a sister station, the 630 Chad, and that they had huge numbers out in Vancouver, like massive numbers. But the guy they went to talk to was John Short, that John knew how to put a show together. So we uh, we try to bring John in the studio once a year. Uh, he knows his stuff. He's you know, he's forgotten more than uh, 99.9% of the guys out there uh, working in sports uh, know about the game. He's forgotten more about the game. So, 
he, he's, he knows boxing, he knows hockey, and uh, he also knows people. He's a, he's a good judge of character as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, really knowledgeable in boxing, which clearly, Bob, as you and I have gotten older, has uh, kind of fallen well off the map as anything near a, a mainstream port, but sport, but that's probably a, a discussion for for another day. Oilers and Flames tomorrow. Bob, I had Perry Bearson on the show earlier, Edmonton kid who grew up just a few minutes from Northland's Coliseum, as it was called when he was younger, who was then later credited with one of the biggest goals by an opponent at, uh, at Northland's Coliseum, the one Steve Smith put into his own net. I, I made this point earlier. I do find it interesting in the great Battle of Alberta of the 80s and early 90s, often won by the Edmonton Oilers. Two of the most memorable goals, though, were scored by the Flames at Rexall Place. Bearson getting the own goal and uh, Flurry sliding the length of the ice after the overtime goal in 91. Well, uh, you know, the, the 91 incident, the Oilers were able to rally from right and come back and win game seven at the second and get that hat trick and um, back to 86. You know, I was 20 when that happened and, and I, I remember watching at a bunch of friends' houses. We were about to go uh, uh, work up north and get get away from being townies for the first time in our lives. And it was a, you know, that was a precursor of how humbling life can be because the Oilers were a significantly more gifted team than Calgary. But the fact is, Calgary changed, Reed, earlier in the, uh, you know, if you watch the playoff series in 83 and 84, the Flames were too soft, and the Oilers just tossed them around. And uh, Calgary went out and uh, saturated the market for uh, some stout NCAA players. Uh, you know, they... They got they got some skill, but they also became very difficult to play against guys like Joel Otto, and it changed the complexion of what the Flames brought. And I would I would assert to you that in my opinion, the Calgary Flames through the back half of the 1980s, uh, the Oilers won you know the the five cups in seven years. Calgary played in the other two finals that Edmonton did make it in, and I, I'd say the Flames probably had the second best team in the NHL for most of those years, and Winnipeg. In a couple of those years, well, one year Winnipeg came fifth, one year they came sixth, and one year they came seventh. So they were a top seven team for three of those 16 years as well. But uh, Flames were a good team. Uh, they learned, and they got a bit in the Oilers' heads in 86. Uh, conversely, uh, that 91 series, that was rollerball on ice. That was nasty, nasty hockey. It was a thing of absolute beauty. Which Flame, Bob, historically, I guess you can go from any era, which, which Flame... I don't know if I want to say was was the best flame, and I don't know if you would have had a favorite flame being an Edmontonian. Which flame maybe did you just admire his style, tenacity, skill, uh, you know, the most? Well, I mean, and I didn't know the full backstory on on uh, Darren Fleury. I mean, you heard whispers uh, about Portland, and and then later Swift Current about some of the things that went on, and these have now been documented since uh, since then. But uh, for me, Darren Fleury was, even though he didn't get there until he, because. I, I, I think the Oilers, until 88, they were just a better team. I mean, I know Calgary won the 86 series, but it took the Oilers scoring on themselves to win the series. But when Fleury came, it kind of changed the complexion. He was a burner, and, uh, you know, Oilers, uh, Flames won the Cup in 89. The Oilers won in 90, that 91 series. Fleury was a dynamic player. He, I read a piece today that George Johnson wrote. He conveniently neglected to mention that Mark Messier was injured in that series. And that played a factor down the road. But I, I don't know about you, Reed, but uh, maybe Lanny McDonald early in the Battle of Alberta matchups, and then late it would definitely be Theron Fleury. Yeah, Fleury was a great player. I, I always remember Joel Otto, too, because he was just always, you know, he could he could do a little bit of everything. And, and uh, when they went to the, the Cup finals, he was a significant player. I believe he got the 
overtime winner in in '89. We, I mean, sometimes we forget how close Calgary was to uh, to losing to Vancouver in the first round. I think Joel Otto got the overtime winner off his skate. Maybe a bit of a controversial goal at the time. He he was. A, I I always enjoyed. You know, enjoyed, I guess, maybe not in <laughs> as an Oiler fan type way, but I always thought he was a pretty strong player. And he was, Otto was an NCAA guy, right? Yeah, he played at Bemidji, same place that uh, Brad Hunt played at. Um, I, You know what? I couldn't stand Joe Otto, and I didn't like Jim Poplinski either, and then I met them both afterwards, and I thought the world of them. And I know that the Oiler players, they respect, they respected Jim Poplinski. Like, he, he was a stand-up guy, and he backed down from nobody, and he, he battled Otto would get into it with Messier and, you know, avoided, uh, even though he was the same size, he avoided those matchups against Semenko, especially in the 85, 86 season before Semenko was ultimately moved. And, um, but, he, you know, I, he was a good player. Again, Poplinski probably from 82 to 85, 86 was more noticeable, and Otto was more noticeable once we got into the late 1980s. Of course, it wasn't around in the early years, but a bit of a transition there. Gary Roberts as well was another guy, Reed, I mean. They drafted him in 84. He had a couple battles with Messi in the same game in 88. Uh, he played it hard. And then they, their defense. I mean, they had Suter. Um, he's pretty darn good. And Al McKinnis could hurt you with a shot. If you've ever had a chance to spend two minutes with Al away from uh, you know the game, he's a, he's a fantastic guy. Inside Sports on 630, Chet, it's 814. Bob Stoffer on the other end of the line. We're getting ready for the Oilers and the Flames. Tomorrow night, the last battle of Alberta. That Rexall place, two teams having a certainly disappointing season. The, fl- the Flames were hoping to get back to the playoffs. They will not. The Oilers were hoping to, at the very least, be flirting with a playoff spot. They have uh, not really done that realistically for uh, for the last third of the season, uh, at the very least. Bob, a lot, of, a lot of focus, though, from the Oilers, probably more in past years, I would say, uh, on finishing the season strong, and I think I think part of that is these players know that they have an experienced coach who's going to be back. I I do think McClellan believes that, and he said it today, that there are pieces of the foundation that he wants put in place. Um, I think that you know I, I think there's a pretty heavy focus on winning these games, and you factor in that you know it is the closing out of the building, and they'd like it to be remembered with a couple of W's. Yeah, well, I wouldn't give Brassois start the rest of the way. I think we've got our answer there. I think he's still a goaltender of the future, but I think given the amount of time in between the games, just give Talbot the final three starts. And if you're starting Talbot over the last month and a half, well, basically, if you're starting Talbot since, what, the 14th of December, you're giving yourself a chance to win the game. Um, I, I concur with your thoughts. Um, and I know I had Brad Trey living on orders now today. And to me, it's a simple equation for both teams. The Oilers have to add a right-shot power play defenseman, and the Calgary Flames have to get themselves the number one goalie. And I don't think you can judge Calgary on this season because when you have a team save percentage of 890, it makes it impossible to evaluate the rest of the players. And, Reed, you know firsthand what it's like to have a team with the worst save percentage in the NHL because you watched it last season. Yep. So uh, in the Flames' case, they need a goalie, and in the Oilers' case, they need a right shot power play D. And if they get that, let's not forget that Connor McDavid, the rookie of the month, the Oilers power play, when he's been in the lineups at 20%. So what would it be if they had a guy that could actually run a power play and give them a shot from the point? You know, I think that uh, you could see some areas of improvement. The Oilers got to do a better job transitioning the puck. They need two defensemen, but I'm counting Clefbaum as one of those two. And, and then they need to go get a guy that, you know, trade from the strength to weakness. 
or from a position strength and address an area weakness. So either, you know, deploy some combination of picks and prospects depending upon where you draft, or conversely, you know, move, you know, one of my logic dictates one of three players, either Everlay, Nugent Hopkins, or Hall, uh, to address that area of uh, weakness on the right side on, on the back end. They've got to get a right side guy that can really move the puck. All right, quickly before I let you go, Bob, and I missed pretty much all of your show today because I was at the Royal uh, Royal sure. Glenora at Oilers practice. Did you go to the Oil Kings game last night? I did not. Okay. No. But this, I'm not surprised they came back. I, I got to tell you, I was worried about the amount of time in between the 2 nothing lead that, that uh, the Oil Kings got. Brandon got themselves recalibrated. You know, Peyton Lee had such a hot start. And you know how if you get a – if I was the Oil Kings, I would have wanted to play game three right away. And I know they didn't have Lane Bauer. Uh, they got hosed, tough game officiating-wise. You don't shoot a team 35-27 read. Uh, you should win that game and not be penalized nine times. Well, another team only gets penalized twice. But clearly last night, by all reports, Brandon was a better team. And well, Kings are now in tough. Like they got to win for sure uh, on Sunday night or they're going to be done here. All right, Bob, thanks for making time for me, man, on a Friday night. I will see you at the rink tomorrow, buddy. Look forward to it. See you later. That is Bob Stoffer checking in, host of Oilers Now, noon to 2 every day on 6.30. Chad, Bob, and I will be on the face-off show tomorrow. That'll start at 6.30, the game at 8 against the Calgary Flames. Be listening for your AMA, Alberta Motor Association's Oilers Hockey, AMA Safety and Savings for Your Family, AMA presenting Inside Sports tonight. It is 8.18. Still ahead, we'll touch base with Morley Scott. The Eskimo show is going to debut on Sunday. You'll hear a little bit from Oilers head coach Todd McClellan, and we are going to meet a very uh, special five-pin bowler who recently cashed in with a perfect game. Inside Sports will continue. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. The Blue, uh, the Blue Jays game in, uh, oh, it just ended. That was it. That was the last out. 4-2 Boston wins in 10 innings. They were 2-2 after 9. Still ahead, Morley Scott, Jesse Bouchard. Jesse, uh, an amazing story about how he... Uh, we don't talk a lot about bowling, so if we're having a bowler on, it's probably something pretty special. He got a perfect game in five-pin recently, and it, uh, it was not easy, so he'll fill us in on that. So the Oilers and the Flames coming up to uh, Oilers and Flames coming up tomorrow night. I asked head coach Todd McClellan if Adam Party's going to play. There's a, a good chance of that. We'll see how he is in the morning, but he... Uh, He's feeling better every time uh, that he's on the ice with the injury, and we also got some skates in with him now uh, after his uh, his family issues. So there's a good chance he'll play. And uh, Nuge skated uh, a lot today, a lot more than he did. Um, little physical stuff now after practice to see how he is. Again, we won't fool around with him if uh, if we all think he's ready to go, and he thinks he's ready to go. We'll play him. What is the? I mean, I know Party hasn't played a lot of games for you, but it seems to me there are a lot of guys like that in the league. You know, they're established veterans, they're big, they, they know the simple defensive game. Is that is that the value of a party-type player in, in a lineup? Well, I, I don't know if I would sell them just at those, you know, with those characteristics. We're still trying to figure them out. Um, 
He carries himself well in the locker room. I usually start with the person and then go to the player. He carries himself well. His teammates like being around him. He has a pretty good understanding of what the league is like and, and how it needs to be played. Uh, he does have that size uh, for any type of, of short fall as far as speed or pace goes. He has the strength and, and size to uh, to compensate for it. So, um, you know, we'll need these games, uh, if we can get them in the lineup, to evaluate a little bit more and then we'll have to make decisions moving forward and in turn um, he'll have to make some decisions as a, as a player too. Where does he want to be? Does this a good fit for him? Um, you know financial um, uh, implications too so um, there's a lot of uh, work that has to be done over the summer on both sides. Alright so we'll see what happens with Adam Party likely to play tomorrow likely to be paired with Darnell Nurse. Other than that the roster should look the same as it did uh, way back on Monday, when the Oilers lost to the Anaheim Ducks. I, I don't know if Adam Party's going to be back for the Oilers. I think Party wants to play and try to prove that he either belongs here or somewhere else. He is playing for a contract. It doesn't have to be a contract uh, with uh, the Edmonton Oilers. I, I would think Eric Griba is going to be re-signed by the Oilers, and maybe he gets back in for the last two regular season games. He's interested in what Bob said there, that he would start Talbot the rest of the way. I think you start Talbot the two home games. Do you put Brassois in the last game against the Vancouver Canucks? Try to get him his first win at, at the end of the season? I don't know. That's kind of wh where I was leaning, but I can see you know letting Talbot be the guy. The games are so spaced out. To again, strain schedule. It's not why they're, they're where they are in the standings, but uh, I think you'd prefer to be playing a little less often than they were in March and a little more often than they are in in April. I mean, some teams still have five or six games left, and the Oilers only have three. So anyway, that's uh, that's a little aside. The uh, Eskimo show is going to debut on Sunday at four. Morley Scott's coming up after the eight thirty news to tease that and Morley Scott with some details on the Oil Kings as well. So Oil Kings are Sunday night, Matthew? At 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock game. 4 o'clock game, Early I believe, one. yeah. Early one. And then they go back to, they got at least one game in Brandon. That'll be on Tuesday. If they need a game 7, it'll be on Wednesday. So they had they had some games spaced out and now they're all crammed together a little bit too. Brandon's good. I mean, Brandon was the favorite for a reason. So the Oil Kings stole a couple. See if they can uh, get a home ice win. The Oil Kings have not won. I was thinking in my head here. So what, it was 2014? They won the Memorial Cup, right? Yep. So they they lost game six of that series at home in overtime. Remember, they were up, weren't they up 5-2 in the second period? Looked like they were going to win the championship on home ice. Had to go back to Portland and win game seven on the road. I believe they won game four of that series at home. So they lost game six. They lost three home games last year to Brandon, and now two. So that's a six-game playoff home ice losing streak for the Edmonton Oil Kings, if you're keeping track of these types of things. <laughs> uh, 780-496-0063. You can always text us to 630-630. Uh, Jim says, John Short, what a class act. Excellent interview. Thank you for that, Jim. Uh... Lloyd says, I recall a broadcast of a Toronto-Edmonton game where Harold Ballard and Peter Pocklington faced off, and Peter said that the Oilers would win the Stanley Cup in their first five years. I think that was in their first season. John's comment about not expecting the Oilers to develop that quickly reminded me of that story. 
And uh, this texter says about Gary Roberts, who Bob brought up in the interview. Gary Roberts, he played angry all the time. If you play with anger and skill in the National Hockey League, you will probably be a good player. But that is a hard thing to have night after night. you got to be pretty special to have it. Morley Scott coming up. You'll also meet Jesse Bouchard and get the story of his perfect game. Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, it's 8.27. for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, it's 8.33. Good to have you along for the ride this evening. It's it's funny when you look back on those uh, rivalries between the Oilers and the Flames in the late 80s and early 90s, now people can acknowledge the Flames that they <laughs> enjoyed watching or have respectful memories of. Coach Al says a class act during the 80s from the Flames was Lanny McDonald. And Brian says, Hey, Reed, I once met Lanny McDonald. He took off his Stanley Cup ring and Canada Cup ring and let me look at them. I thought that was pretty cool. He is the best Flame in my books. That is from Brian. Of course, nobody was saying that at the time. And I, I hope we get back to that. I, I really, I mean, look, first of all, as I've pointed out several times, Matthew, to you and other people, it's it's kind of silly to to cheer for anybody in the draft lottery. I mean, you want your own team to win, right? But you you have, like, it's random, mindless ping-pong balls, right? And ever, what did people think last year? Well, the Oilers played too well at the end of the year. They shouldn't have won those games. No, they ruined their chances of getting McDavid because they dropped from 20% to 11 and a half. Well, what happened? I mean, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. I, but I think, it'd be, I think it'd be great from an Alberta hockey perspective Purely a perspective of the rivalry and the two teams becoming more relevant if Austin Matthews went to the Calgary Flames. I really mean that. Why not? Why not? You can text 630-630. Oil Kings game on Sunday. Eskimo show coming up. Uh, they're both Sunday at 4, aren't they? Oil Kings at uh, Sunday at 4. Oil Kings uh, Eskimo show Sunday at 4. Oil Kings Sunday at 4. To talk about both those things. Play-by-play voice for the Edmonton Eskimos right here on 630 Chet. Morley Scott. Morley, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, Reed. How are you? Doing great, man. We were, we were worried about this happening, weren't we? With uh, Brandon and yeah, Edmonton. and it happened. <laughs> uh, not a great performance last night uh, by the Oil Kings. They really, really struggled at the start of the game down 2 nothing before they got a shot on net and that wasn't early that was like 13 minutes into the uh into the first period of play before they got a shot on net uh they were in trouble for most of the night really though to their credit it's the first time they let the Brandon Weekings kind of get away from them in this series you know they won the first two games in Brandon uh game 3 was uh was was close you know it was it was there until the third period and the penalty trouble they had of course was a reason for that but uh this one got away from them last night and they really have to have to regroup reload and i think they're pretty happy uh, Steve Hamilton talked about how he thought the team was tired last night so they're pretty happy they've got a two day break and don't play game 5 until Sunday at Rexall all right. So, in terms of the the flow of that game, I mean, were the Oil Kings ever threatening? 
Not really. No. Uh, you know, they didn't they didn't have a lot of real good scoring opportunities. I mean, they went the first 13 minutes of the first period without a shot, then went the first 10 minutes of the second period without a shot. I think it was 5 or 6 minutes into the third period before they got a shot on net too. So, yeah, they weren't uh, the game wasn't close really. And then uh you know, they get a couple of power plays early and give the puck away and Quenville gets a breakaway for a shorty to make it uh, you know to, to start uh, to start the Wheat Kings on their way uh, he added a power play goal later he had a real good game Quenville did uh, who plays it's his hometown so he's got a lot of fans right. and family and friends watching and uh, he played pretty well here in the series last year and uh, certainly played pretty well last night Okay, well, uh, Game 5 coming up on Sunday, so a, a big one, and then there's going to be at least one more now back in in, uh, in Brandon. So, of course, we'll be keeping an eye, an eye on that. you got a big day coming up on Sunday, 4 o'clock. We have the season premiere of the Eskimo Show. Indeed, first uh, episode of the year. Uh, two months from now, we'll already be in a training camp. So uh, it's not June yet, but we're getting there. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it to get the get the Eskimo Show rolling on a, on a weekly basis. Sunday's at 4 o'clock, starting uh, this Sunday in a show where we'll uh, talk, for the most part, with Eskimos president and CEO Len Rhodes, who tells some some real good stories. And as, as we mentioned, he talks about that uh, two-week span after the Grey Cup when all the coaching movement was going on, uh, the Ottawa situation. Uh, he'll give us the latest on that and what he expects to happen uh, from the league when they make their announcement. Uh, he also uh, talks about Rob Ford, uh, who passed away this week. Uh, so uh, we'll hear about that. But we'll also spend some time with, uh, with Jason Moss. I had a, a long conversation with Jason Moss this week. We'll hear part of it on the show Sunday, and then the rest of it uh, on the show a week from Sunday. So uh, Jason Moss and Len Rhodes will be the guests on the first Eskimo show of the week. Well, of that, the season. That's, it's, it's going to be interesting with Jason Moss being, being the head coach, very popular player when he was here. I mean, I can remember him replacing Neilon Green as the quarterback and then Ricky Ray replacing Jason Moss and then Jason Moss replacing, replacing Ricky, Ricky Ray when Ray was in the NFL and then, and then, uh, and then obviously... Uh, uh, Ray came back, and Moss was eventually uh, traded to Hamilton, and then came back again after that. Yeah, he, went, he ended he? up going to Montreal too, right? Oh, right. For a while, yes, and then yeah. Hamilton, and uh, then came back and uh, played the. I, I don't know. Was he here in '09? I know my first season doing Eskimo games was 2010, and and he finished up that season, and then was released at the end of that season, and that's when uh, when he announced his retirement. Came back, signed the old one day contract with the Eskimos, right. and, and retired as an Eskimo. Well, he's a guy. Even as he's gone other places to coach, Edmonton's kind of been a home for him. Yeah, he his family uh, has lived here for a, a long time. When he played, his wife had a business when he played here uh, out, out in Sherwood Park, I believe it was. And uh, so they lived here year-round. Kids went to school here. And uh, then when he left, and he's been kind of moving around as a coach a little bit, the family didn't go with him. But as soon as he got the head coaching job, family moved back to Edmonton, and they're already here. So uh, he is, uh, he's invested for sure. Yeah. So much, uh, so much changeover in the... <laughs> The uh, well, the whole coaching staff is is new, so so that'll be a big storyline, of course, going going into training camp as well. You, you talked to to talk to Len Rhodes, and I know you touched on some of the things that uh, that that he's going to hit on. It's going to be an interesting year for the Eskimos off the field, too. Uh, it, it always is uh, the the tough schedule, the the unusual. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. if you win your games from that point of view, it's not tough. But it, it's a it's an unusual schedule with those all those home games in the summer. Yeah, they had they had a bad schedule last year, but they won the Grey Cup, so you can't really say they had a bad schedule, right? Uh, everything went well for them this year. Again, uh, the, the more I look at the schedule, the worse I think it is for them, the, especially that October stretch where they don't play any games at home at all. They play four of their final five games on the road, all in a row with a bye week thrown in there. And once again, they have an early bye week and a 
late bye week, week two after they play one game, and then after the Thanksgiving Day game in Montreal, they also get a bye week. So uh, it's not as late as last year being the final week, but uh, but uh, it's late, and that's a lot of football to play between the bye weeks. But they'll find a way to figure it out, and that's 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 the job. You, 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 the old saying is, right, I remember Daryl Sutter said this to me once, uh, two things you can't pick. You can't pick your relatives, and you can't pick your schedule, and you're stuck <laughs> with both of them. So uh, I've always remembered that. And, I mean, the schedule's done from an Eskimo standpoint. They don't like it. You can't change it. But no. let's deal with it because we can't change it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen this way. Uh, I feel bad for the marketing people and, and the ticket sales people because they're 42 days between home games. And, and while they're away for all those road games, uh, the, new, uh, the new building downtown opens up and uh, there's going to be not a lot of uh, talk about the Eskimos because of, uh, uh, of the new building opening up. And I think it's, it's going to probably hurt them sales-wise. Although you win a few games and when that game comes, final game of the season comes at the end of the year to play at home, crowd should be back if you're winning and playing well. All right, so 4 p.m. Sunday? 4 o'clock Sunday, right here on 6.30, Chet. Thanks, Morley. You bet. That is for the Eskimos show. Going to be fun, ramping up towards yet another season. Well, I have a very big Eskimos fan in studio coming up in the next segment. I'm sure we'll touch on the green and gold, but he did something pretty remarkable himself. He bowled a perfect game in five pin, and how it happened and the way it happened is uh, is pretty cool, and he's got a great story. His name is Jesse Bouchard, 841. He's up next, Inside Sports on Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, Ryan Nugent Hopkins practicing, not expected to play tomorrow night. Same with Eric Dryba, Adam Party likely to return. Oilers and Flames will be right here on 630 Chad. Reed Wilkins with you. Thanks a lot for tuning in. It's 846. Hope you have a great weekend planned. We got a great guest in studio here who has a pretty cool story. His name is Jesse Bouchard. Jesse, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Great. Great to have you drop by tonight. Now uh, we have we have a bowling story here. You did you did something pretty unique. Be- before we get to the details of that, you, how, how old are you? 32 you said? Yes, I'm 32, yeah. And when did you start bowling? I started bowling when I was 14. Okay, so you're a teenager. What what got you into the sport? Uh, just went bowling a few times, Himes on a f- few birthday parties, and uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And, and wanted to join the league and and try to s- see how good I could get. Okay, well, you got pretty good, which is which is the crux of the story here. Um, because on February 21st of this year, you bowled a perfect game. Now, on five pin, that's a 450. Yes. So yep. that's 12 straight strikes. 12 straight strikes. Nope. Now, before we get to the details of that and, and how it felt and all that amazing stuff, uh, you have cerebral palsy, correct? Yeah. So how has that how has that affected you? Uh, I've got to balance my paralyzed arm to, to throw the ball, and uh, I... I plant instead of sliding for a, a right-hander. I uh, throw on the opposite side of the lane, and uh, uh, and that's essentially high bowl. So now, see Jesse, that's that's amazing what you did there. You just sort of not gloss over, but it's a pretty big detail. But you're just used to you. Your left arm is is paralyzed, right? So yeah. it's a total. I got cerebral palsy and epilepsy. Yeah, so that your total whole setup of 
grabbing the ball and getting a good grip and balancing it be totally different than 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 a lot of people, right? Yeah. Okay. So how do you? So you have to, um, you know, make sure. How, how? What do you do when you grip the ball to make sure you really got it? I grip the ball a certain way, and then I make sure my left arm's closed, and then I take my approach, and I throw the ball. Okay. But you mentioned something important. People who throw with their right hand, whether it's a football, you know, which is an overhand motion, or bowling, sure. which is an under, they're stepping forward with their left foot. Right. But you're stepping forward with, with your, right, with your foot. right foot. So a yeah, lot of people... foot for a right-hander. Yeah, so that would look unnatural for a lot of people, but for you it feels it is better. It uh, unorthodox. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you have to, when you first started bowling, would you go with the left foot forward and then you realized that didn't work, or how did that no, develop? No, I, I, t- I always threw with the right tight foot because otherwise I'd probably fall over so <laughs> so for you it was a necessity then because with the balance it would probably throw me off okay so. I gotcha so you're bowling in St. Albert like I said on t- February 21st okay so you, you you had not had a perfect game before no had you been close I've fun bowl about seven years ago I had a Four ten, three strikes in a row, five spare, eight in a row. Okay, great, so. great memory. His, his friend Bill is here. He's just also chuckling at the at the memories as well. So four tens, uh, exceptional score. It's not perfect, but we, no. fair to say, Bill, you can yod. Fair to say that's four ten is exceptional. Okay, so you've had a, exceptional games. Yeah. You have not had a perfect game. So you're you're going through this game. You got one, two, three. At what point did you think? Man, I really might have a shot at getting the the perfect today. Well, uh, what it was was a teaching masters tournament, and it's uh, a tournament uh, f- for coaches uh, based on pins over your average. And I was minus twenty one after seven games, and I ten the leader at that point was over a hundred pins over average, and I said, "Well, hell, I need a three eighty or four Ten and I just started laughing at at, at the manager and I'm like, I, I, I looked at the stats again and I walked away and I I said I can do this, and then I just uh, f- focused on one ball at a time and that's all I uh, I could focus on. So you were basically for for people who don't know bowling as well, it was kind of like you were down. What I don't know, six nothing going to the third period in hockey. Is that like that's how yeah, it, it, like you needed to score like scoring seven goals in a period in hockey basically to win. Practically, yeah. <laughs> okay, and also not only did you do that, you you exceeded it, but you weren't thinking perfect game. Even once you got to the eighth, ninth strike in a row, you were still just no one at a time. Because in the tournament, I had a two thirty eight average, and that was the highest out of anybody. And it's not trade up, which is like. You get two thirty nine. I get two thirty eight. You win, right? See that? See that's so, that's. I'm sorry to cut you off, Jesse, but that's that's amazing to me that you could be. Because if I were doing that, once I got like to the seventh strike, I'd be thinking I'm over halfway there, and I started to get nervous, right? Well, I tied two stats on my iPad, and I tied checked a couple times what I needed or what I had, but I um had. That point, I just had to zone in, and I had to really focus because all I s- said to myself was, "One ball at a time, 
one good shot and you give yourself a chance. So, Okay. So you're totally locked in. Now, once you get to the 10th, you got to do still you get three balls if you get a strike right. on the first one. What happened after your 10th strike? Well, uh, the pins tangled, and I had to wait two minutes and 50 seconds roughly, and then the foul light went off, but I had 40, 40 witnesses, and uh, everybody was around me, and 10 for one second you thought uh, what's happening, but then you just had to totally block it out and continue focusing on that next shot. This is amazing. So you have, you have the malfunction with the pins at one end, the foul lights going off wrongfully by your feet, and you get a, you have this long wait, and then you still nail the final two strikes. So once you got the twelfth strike in a row, you got the four fifty. What 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 was your reaction? What did you do? I uh, I had my hands up in the air, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what, what whether to fist pump it like Taylor Hall or uh, toward chump up and down. It was really a, a a real surreal feeling. So when did it kind of sink in? I mean, you're still talking about it and doing. I mean, I know you've been on a couple TV stations. You, it's over a month later. You're still talking about it. it must be pretty fun. It, it, it's something that I'll remember for the rest of my life, and it's a, a really uh, a neat experience. Jesse Bouchard joining us. He got a, a perfect game, five-pin bowling in St. Albert back on February 21st. Getting some texts in of uh, many forms of congratulations, Jesse. So I want to pass you those on to you. All right, we're running out of time, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk football. First of all, I got a, a, a text here from someone who says, ask Jesse who will have more wins in the CFL this year, Winnipeg or Saskatchewan. I understand uh, you have a, a friendly wager with a yeah, mutual friend. Uh, I got a... Friendly wager, yeah. I I think Winnipeg uh, is gonna come out on top because you can have all the all-star our uh, coaches you want, thought naming names where they're from, obviously. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I think uh, Saskatchewan's receivers that went to Winnipeg is gonna give them the extra tooth that they need. So. I'd say Winnipeg. All right, well, now what was more exciting to you? Because you're a huge Eskimos fan. The Eskimos winning the Grey Cup or, or your perfect game? I'd say <laughs> both, but um, it, it, people work their whole, uh, whole careers, obviously, in football and in polling to reach the pinnacle of their sport, and it's really an honor and uh, a privilege to... Uh, to do that, so. Who's your favorite Eskimo? Uh, my favorite Eskimo would have to be uh, Riley. Well, yeah, safe bet, eh? The Grey Cup MVP quarterback. They going to be good again this year? I think it comes through Edmonton again. I, I think Calgary slowed down a bit, and we, we've taken hits in other areas, but I, I don't uh, see any changes. I think we... Uh, I, Kev it a real run at trying, uh, trying to repeat. So, Jesse, great interview. Thanks so much for coming in tonight. Oh, on Twitter, people can get you. Uh, Thank you. Esks diehard, all one word. Yep. If people want to follow you on Twitter, Jesse Bouchard is his uh, 
non-Twitter name, his <laughs> his real name, I guess. And uh, yeah, his story, uh, perfect game, uh, 450. You got cerebral palsy, so your left arm is is paralyzed, and you still fired out the perfect score, man. Thanks for telling your story. Thank you for having me. That is Jesse Bouchard, and of course, Inside Sports is presented by AMA. Be listening tomorrow for your Alberta Motor Association's Oilers Hockey AMA Safety and Savings for your family. We'll sign on at 6.30. The game against the Flames will start at 8. Besides Jesse Bouchard, I want to thank Morley Scott, Bob Stoffer, John Short, Perry Berezin, everybody who texted and called tonight. Always fun. The studio producer is Matthew Panashik. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. My name is Reed Wilkins. I'll talk to you from Rexall Place tomorrow night. Please have a great weekend weekend.